can't get past the memory lock to isolate the chain. Simple. Just enhance the memory index. Actualize data. Five. Here we go. Execute worm function. Enhance. Redimensionalize variables. Welcome back to Trash Cannon, and I'm here with Adam Clark. Hello. Hello. Uh, to talk about Lawnmower Man 2, one of the uh, most hotly anticipated sequels of the 1990s. Yes, this is part of the Lawnmower Man cinematic universe. Yeah. <laughs> and sadly, we never got a third movie, just like, um, just like with the Deaf Nurse duology. It, uh, it never got a... Um, we never got a natural conclusion to the saga. Uh, so, Adam, why don't you um, start by, because again, this was the guest pick. Uh, why don't you start off by telling me why you wanted to do this movie? Oh, God. <laughs> the answers are tenfold. Well, uh, one of the things I do is I've recently started a podcast on Canadian horror movies. I am a big fan of Weird CanCon. And a little bit of weird CanCon that we have here is star Matt Frewer replacing Jeff Fahey in the role of Lawnmower Man. <laughs> and even though I believe, yeah, because Frewer, I think, was born in Washington, but he was raised in Peterborough and then like studied acting in the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing international about him. He sounds like he's from Peterborough. He has the <laughs> Ontarian accents. He looks like a goober from Hamilton. Like he's, he's as Canadian as he gets. Um, but like a lot of people, I uh, from my age group, I adore bad virtual reality slash hacking movies, which was a minor subgenre of the '90s. I adore that this film was originally titled Lawnmower Man 2 Beyond Cyberspace. Yes. And uh, one of the things that I found absolutely fascinating, uh, I'm enough of a dork and I guess a fan of Frewers uh, because I love Max Headroom. I grew up on Max Headroom. I adored the ABC sci-fi series Max Headroom, not to be confused with the talk show, the original Max Talking Headroom show from Showtime, which we did not get in Canada. Uh, I was a big fan of that series, and I, when I saw the credit, I was enough of a, of a complete dork that when I saw the credit directed by Farhad Man, a light went off in my head, and I realized, I was like, wait a minute, he directed the very first episode of the ABC series. He directed the Blitverts episode. So his relationship with Frewer dates all the way back to 1987. Yeah, and uh, Farhad Man is also Canadian, isn't he? Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I don't know where, but um, but I, 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 in my research, I remember seeing that. We've definitely not tried to uh, reclaim him, probably because, <laughs> unlike Matt Furr, where we'll insist, it's like, no, 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 Max Headroom is Canadian. <laughs> uh, Matt Furr is a decent character actor who you have to direct uh, to prevent him from going into an embarrassing area. But if yeah. you direct him, he could be great. Um, 
unlike unlike uh, old old Max Headroom uh, with Farhead Man, it's like what has he directed? This the sequel to Two Moon Junction that Matt Frewer is also in. <laughs> and I saw I had to double check. It's like what does a movie like Lawnmower Man Two Beyond Cyberspace, aka Job's War, which it was retitled on home video when uh, New Line Cinema got embarrassed by the title Beyond Cyberspace. <laughs> um, what, like what do you do after that's the last film on your resume and you can tell like this isn't like a huge hugely high budgeted movie but it's got a decent budget yeah uh, judging by like the, the sets and some of the special effects there particularly the practical effects and sure enough within two years he was directing episodes of pam anderson's vip <laughs> yeah um and and that's a nice segue because i i wanted to bring up yeah farhad man um, did the pilot for Max Headroom, which is the uh, by far the most successful project he's done because he got several Emmys for it. Mm -hmm. um, but he also directed the pilot for Forever Night. Yes, he directed <laughs> Nick Knight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is weird. So that also gives him a, 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 an odd tie to Canada because Nick Knight wasn't picked up as is because it originally st starred, I think, Rick Springfield in the title role. Uh, it was basically oh my a God. shitty version of Angel for, for listeners who have no idea what Forever Night is. Uh, Forever Night was filmed in Canada several years later, and I recall it being a syndicated show, but I think CBS aired it, and it was syndicated here in Canada. But uh, it, it had an all-Canadian cast that had a lot of that guys. So when you think of, like, Canadian B-movies and B-movies that are shot in Vancouver, you'll recognize all of the cast. You're like, oh, LaCroix, the bad guy or the anti-hero. It's like, ah, oh, that's poor man's Malcolm McDowell who's in every Canadian horror movie. <laughs> well, I think um, I think you, B, and... Um... Allison Pegler, uh, better known as Obscure Slooper, the only three people who ever watched it. <laughs> that is absolutely. I've got one other person that I know of who watched it, <laughs> and yeah, you're not you're not far off. Somehow that was enough to uh, get this CanCon co-production to limp along for three seasons. Oh wow! Yes, <laughs> and um, uh, he also directed a TV adaptation of Dean Koontz's The Face of Fear. So Dean Koontz and Farhad Man, the, the perfect um, team-up. <laughs> <laughs> and also, and I, and I honestly didn't notice, um, it, the, Michael Mann wrote this, I mean, um, Farhad Man wrote the uh, screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wrote the screenplay, but the story concept he co-wrote with Michael Miner, the um, screenplay writer for RoboCop, who has done only this and the co-writing the story concept for Lawnmower Man 2, <laughs> uh, which which is an interesting career. And I think he ended up just directing documentaries from <laughs> since then. So, uh, yeah, Lawnmower Man 2 probably killed uh, his career, kind of. Um, Matt Frewer, I, uh, yeah, he's done a lot of work, and he actually is a genuinely good actor when, you know, he has good direction, like you said, um, and, uh, but the, the one standout is that Matt Frewer actually voiced Sid the Squid from one of my favorite Batman the Animated Series episodes. Oh, wow, I don't, I don't, which one is that? It, it's the one where the, um, uh, the, where this sort of loser criminal 
um, accident, um, accidentally kills Batman, or so he thinks, and like the entire underworld oh, is after right. him. Right. Yeah. He's great at yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, and the Joker wants to kill him, and all these gangsters want to kill him because you know, like, like killing Batman turns him into a martyr and makes him more dangerous in a way. And it's like, it, it, it's kind of a brilliant episode because it kind of explains why Batman is able to do what he does. Cause you know, nobody really wants Batman to die. Mm. And it's just like sort of this spotlight episode on this criminal and um, on this loser criminal and how Batman just sort of like takes it to jail. But at the same time, he lets it get, like some recognition so it's a great illustration of batman's compassion it's just like a really clever um episode and, and mafro does a great job voicing it and i honestly wouldn't have known because it doesn't sound like him um <laughs> because he doesn't have a digital stutter <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and he's not hawking new coke yeah and he's not imitating a fourth rate gym uh, jim carrey well that's like, uh, he raised an interesting point there because there's a great did you ever see because uh, of course this is all tied so uh the like farhead band directed the first episode of the american uh max headroom show but the pilot was technically done in england by uh rocky jensen and or rocky morton and annabelle jensen or whatever their names were rocky and annabelle um they directed the the pilot which was called max headroom the original story and and it's essentially the same plot and uh so max headroom comes from channel four and when channel four was switching to a digital signal in the mid 2000s they got matt Furrer to play an elderly max headroom complaining about how things are digital these days and they're uh. a great series of ads but they're clearly just filming as as is always the case they, they they're filming matt Furrer ad-libbing and the crusty old Max Headroom says, first Jim Carrey steals my shtick, now this. <laughs> oh, okay, so I might have been a little unfair there. Huh? Well, it's like, you know what, there's a real similarity to how the two of them acted. I don't know <laughs> I, I don't know if you'd call the three years that Max Headroom was a really big deal as Jim Carrey levels of fame, but yeah. he, he, had his, he had his highlights and then has, has had a fairly steady career as a character actor. But you see Jim Carrey's performances and they're so similar to what he was doing as Max Headroom and in a lot of his more ad-libby, show-offy, scenery-chewing kind of roles. And you can't help but think it must have really burned Frewer when he had to voice Jim Carrey's character on the Dumb and Dumber cartoon. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> like, that is the most humiliating Saturday morning cartoon casting since... Ernie Hudson was denied the role of Winston Zeddemore on The Real Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. I, I apologize to Matt Frewer. I, um, wow. You, you were the um, or, Oreo to the uh, crap. I was about to make a really clever reference, and now I can't remember the name of the cookie. The uh, or <laughs> Hydrox. Yes. The, oh. <laughs> so Matt Frewer is Hydrox Cookies. and. <laughs> Jim Carrey is Oreo. Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, and we also have um, starring Austin O'Brien, the only cast member from the original Lawnmower Man to show up um, <laughs> in this movie. Um, he's probably only known for being in Last Action Hero. 
and he hasn't been in acting since 2015, which also brings me to the fact that all the people who play the kids in this movie, none of them except uh, Austin O'Brien, had a career that lasted past 2005. Um, whereas all the adult actors, um, or at least all the major ones, are um, still acting. Mm. Um, but but are for the most part have had pretty undistinguished careers. Oh, and, and one last bit of trivia. Molly Shannon, of all people, yes. has a cameo. <laughs> <laughs> What's weird is that she's in this and Return to... Two Moon Junction. I think she's playing a homeless lady in both, but yeah, she's like a crazy cat lady in this, uh, which is kind of perfect. <laughs> if you're going <laughs> to use Molly Shannon, that's the role she was born to play. I know. I hate to admit this, but I actually like had when I found it out. I actually had to get the movie up and running again and scan through for her appearance because I I totally missed it the first time. Well, yeah, it's um, one of those things like it's like seeing Samuel L. Jackson in The Exorcist Three. You won't realize <laughs> it's him unless you're told. <laughs> That's exactly what happened because she's only in there for like ten seconds, right? She's or... only in a wide shot. It's her voice. They don't dub her over like poor old Sam Jackson in <laughs> Exorcist Three, where you know he sounds about as black as me in, <laughs> in that film. But with Molly Shannon, it's like I, I had to I had to rewind it because she's credited, and it's like you wouldn't normally credit a person for a role like that. She's she's like in the background of a wide shot screaming as subway trains are going by like it's insignificant yeah. but she gets a credit because i think farhead man just had a thing for putting molly shannon in an extremely <laughs> small role he was the una o'connor of, of farhead man films <laughs> yes his is extensive um yeah i should have checked see if he if he if she shows up in the dean coons adaptation <laughs> That would be that would be perfect. Oh man, if she's uh, in one of those VIP episodes, he did. That's the <laughs> um, but okay, before uh, and I and I know I'm kind of putting off talking about the actual movie as as and as, why uh, would you? Why would I? Um, but I feel, but I generally do feel like you can't talk about Lawnmower Man two without talking about Lawnmower Man one. <laughs> And to be honest, um, it's a mo uh, This was my first time watching. Lawnmower Man 2, uh, which I think um, uh, I was a Lawnmower Man 2 virgin, and just like the time I lost my actual virginity, it was uh, a humiliating and painful experience. <laughs> but I've seen the blood original Lawnmower. Yeah, blood. <laughs> no comment. Uh, <laughs> the first, um, the first um, Lawnmower Man is a movie I watched. I think I watched it when I was a kid, when it came first came out on home video, and I watched it a couple more times um, since then. Uh, and honestly, like I wouldn't call it a good movie, or no, nor should you. Yeah, but honestly, like as far as movies that are basically, let's do Flowers for Algernon. Um, except the guy uh, gets superpowers and kills people. I, I think it's almost as good as you could expect that concept to be, um, because um, Jeff Faherty, I could never say his name. It's like I, I want to add a syllable to it. Jeff Faherty, uh, or whatever. Um, he uh, like his performance of Job. 
as a as a um, as mentally disabled is is kind of cringy, but like he doesn't do a bad job of Job as sort of a more once he becomes intelligent and psychopathic. But it, I mean, at least it kind of does go into the themes of whether or not Job getting intelligence is what um, turns him into a psychopath, or if he or if there's some justification to the uh, murderous rampage he engages in against people who exploited him, and if whether or not, um, God, I'm blanking on the name of uh, the actor. Um, oh, Pierce Brosnan, who played the doctor? Who yeah, yeah, super Pierce. Smarts? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's that's why my train of thought crashed because I I couldn't remember his name and I was too embarrassed to ask. Pierce Bronson's. Um, <laughs> Charles Bronson and Pierce Brosnan's illegitimate son. Yeah, <laughs> whether or not Pierce Bronson's, um, whether or not Pierce Bronson, uh, it, it, you know, just how morally dub dubious his own exploitation um, of Job is. Like it doesn't explore those scenes well, but I mean, at least they're there, you know. Hmm. And and honestly, and the other interesting thing about Lawnmower Man One is that. Um, it's actually a movie that becomes less interesting and morally ambiguous if you watch the director's cut because um, the theatrical cut takes out a scene where Job kills Pierce Bronson's wife for literally no reason. Oh, okay. Which completely ruins like the whole arc for both characters and their relationship. So, um, so this is actually one movie where I would recommend watching the theatrical cut if you if you haven't seen it yet yes and you know funny watching the that, that's interesting I, I i first watched lawnmower man a long long time ago and it's a rare movie that even as a child i couldn't finish like my dad rented it for us to watch because we'd each pick out a horror movie to watch that weekend and I picked, I don't know, Pumpkinhead 2 Blood Wings or something. <laughs> Starring Bill Clinton's brother. Yes, he's in it. Soleil Moon Fry is in it. <laughs> Linnea Quigley is in it briefly. And Andrew Robinson's in it. So star-studded, plus Pumpkinhead. <laughs> and my dad rented Lawnmower Man. And I think, like most people, he got conned by the Based on Stephen King Mm. Uh, uh, advertisements uh, because it was I think the second wave of VHS releases not even the theatrical release but the second wave of VHS's where they had to remove that uh, because King sued and you know Lawnmower Man the movie has about as much in common with Lawnmower Man the short story as Lawnmower Man 2 really has in common with Lawnmower Man there are different pieces yeah. but uh, it's the rare movie where I was like so disinterested I left which is a shame because watching the original Lawnmower Man the last half hour is much better than everything preceding it even though yeah. what's like I would much rather watch a schlock movie than a, an attempt at being thoughtful that fails. And the minute that Jeff Fahey turns into an evil super genius who takes his girlfriend to cyberspace, turns into a, a frog, and then jizzes on her until she becomes <laughs> mentally handicapped, is <laughs> one of the best scenes in the movie. And it has a legitimately creepy ending that this movie ignores, which is that Job's physical body totally decays because he jumps into, into, into cyberspace and he pays off a threat 
uh, that's mentioned in dialogue earlier in the movie. It's like, you'll know I'm, I've like, you know, become one with uh, all electrical signals or whatever when you hear every phone in the world ringing at the same time. And that's how Lawnmower Man ends. It ends with Pierce Brosnan phone starts to ring and everyone kind of freezes. And then you hear a bunch of phones ringing in the distance. And it's actually like a nice ending for a just trash movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would still say that the movie probably doesn't, probably has a worse reputation than it otherwise would have because of the whole Stephen King connection. And and for those among my um, six listeners who don't know, um, they they literally did take uh, the script for an unrelated movie, which I think was called Cyber God or something like <laughs> yeah. that, originally, and they just slapped on the, the title of a Stephen King story. Um which uh, had nothing to do with it because it was like just a short story about a man who hires um, a lawnmower man and it turns out to be a sat um, a, a satyr from Greek mythology or, mm-hmm. or something. And the satyr, um, and like he has to agree not to tell anybody, but he calls a friend of his or his wife or something. It's been ages since I read the story, but uh, he tells somebody breaking the rules and the satyr comes in and kills him. And they basically took the scene where the satyr kills the man, plopped it into the movie where Job kills uh, his kid friend Peter's abusive dad. And that's like literally the only connection besides the title that the, that, uh, the movie has to the story. And it, and it got so bad. <laughs> and this really shows um, just how uh, shady and determined New Line Cinema was. Is um, They actually, after the lawsuit, they actually still marketed the movie in Los Angeles and I think a couple of other major cities as Stephen King's Lawnmower Man. Uh-huh. And like and like the judge had to find them. They had to pay like Stephen King, I think, $10,000 a day until they removed the advertising or something ridiculous like that. Um, so, they, so they literally <laughs> violated a court order just to keep marketing it as Stephen King's Lawnmower Man. And the funny thing is, is like Stephen King actually liked the movie, unlike... Uh, uh, he didn't like The Shining, but he liked Lawnmower Man. But you know, he still sued out of principle. So, uh, well, you know, that's I, I'm I'm glad that he did that. Although that's that's like perfectly in keeping with Stephen King, uh, based on what he seems to like, because he has kind of trashed the better adaptations of his material like the shining or john carpenter's christine which while it it totally misses the haunted house element uh, or haunted car element of that story or that novel um it's still very well made and stylish and more so than your average you know crappy stephen king tie-in but he seems to like pet cemetery and cujo which are just awful <laughs> well, uh so i'll never oh and it. the and, and the Shining um, TV miniseries. Yeah, which... he praises Mick Garris. And, like, Mick Garris has made exactly one good movie. It's called Critters 2, The Main Course. <laughs> I definitely agree there. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, mean I, think I, I think I might have liked Lawnmower Man 1 um, a smidge more than you, at least. <laughs> but um, but I, I don't really dispute anything you have to say. And, and I think we both agree that... That Lawnmower 2 makes Lawnmower Man 1 look like 
um, a cinematic masterpiece by comparison. Well, I mean, I guess going back to what I was saying earlier is that I really enjoy trash. I really enjoy just when, when a movie totally shits the bed. And so yeah. while there are no jizz frogs, sadly, in Lawnmower Man 2, <laughs> he doesn't seduce the kindly doctor who seems to have an interest in Job, despite the fact that he has no legs. He's like, no, 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 please, please climb on me with your stump legs. At least you still have your cock. She's, that's the subtext of that scene where she opens a Twinkie for him. And um, despite that, despite the fact that there's no uh, jizzing frogs in, in cyberspace, this movie is so bad that I was I was kind of hypnotized by it i was so kept by how like silly and nonsensical it was and it completely turns into almost a a, a gibberish movie where characters are just saying egypt to each other and it kind of turns into overdrawn at the memory bank at the end <laughs> yeah that was that was the amazing thing it was like literally nothing about the story's plot made sense no um, starting with the fact that, um, uh, uh, okay, so we have P, we have, um, well, first off, they explained that, uh, they actually went out of the way to explain that, um, when they recovered Job's body from the exploding laboratory in the last movie, um, that they had to give him, uh, facial reconstruction surgery and that's why he looks like matt fuer now <laughs> yeah that's the robocop 3 excuse <laughs> where they have robocop getting hit by a flamethrower and they, they perform surgery on his face in a totally unnecessary scene because one when someone's in that suit with their face stretched back they kind of look like robocop anyway but they the makeup team gave that new actor prosthetics where he looked like peter weller anyway <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah, that that leads to I guess my favorite part of this recasting, which is when uh, when Peter sees Job later on in cyberspace. Um, he identifies himself by showing him a magic lawnmower for a couple of seconds, <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute, you're Job, and it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jeff Fahey in in overalls is who you know. Why would you recognize Matt Frewer in the same outfit that Elvis wore on his fifty thousand Elvis fans can't be wrong album cover? <laughs> oh God, the outfit! Yeah, Job goes around with in like a gold uh, bodysuit. <laughs> Jim encrusted too, if I if I remember right. I think my brain deleted the image or tried to, but. But it's like, but it, it it it's Jim encrusted, isn't it? It's got well. Here's it's it's kind of confusing. So, in certain scenes, it appears to be a, a series of lights flickering on and off, like he is a human light bright. I guess to <laughs> signify how digital he is. But in that sequence where, and this is why all your listeners need to rent Lot More Man Two Beyond Cyberspace, um, when when <laughs> when Austin O'Brien fall, falls off of his Tron bike and a stone gargoyle turns into Matt Frewer. Yes! <laughs> there is a little... Uh, you know how in toothpaste commercials, they'll add a little white flash on someone's teeth, a cartoon flash? It's the same flash as when Q appears on the TNG bridge. <laughs> um, they'll add that to show. It's like, you're shining in white. His outfit shines. They added an animated ding 
when he first shows up. And that's why I like this movie way more than Lawnmower Man. <laughs> it's little touches like that where it's like, oh, this film is completely out to lunch. And it seems like everyone except for the child cast and maybe a couple of the adults uh, knew they were making schlock. Like Matt Frewer knows he is in a piece of crap. I would definitely say that at least one of the villains, at least the, the villainous corporate Walker, who we'll talk about later, definitely knows he's in a piece of crap. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just kind of wish that um, that Matt Frewer went all um, Jeremy Irons and Highlander two with it. Well, you know that the amazing thing is <laughs> Matt Frewer because he is ad libbing is just throwing out weird jokes and they don't really match the dialogue that he's being fed. Like the, the scenes don't no. really match. Uh, like he goes on a little riff about incest that makes no sense, but it's just there <laughs> because Matt Frewer is throwing out one liners and seeing what st sticks. And as a result, you get a sense of what Farhead man's uh, conception of Job is in this version of the movie, which is just evil Max Headroom. He even shows up on TVs at the end of the film preaching to, to a mass of people to log in. And the, the thing that I found super weird is that the devices you use to go on the internet, and it's only said once super late in the movie where uh, the president is going to be going into cyberspace for the first time <laughs> because it's that kind of movie. Uh, the, evil, uh, the evil walker. Uh, informs him it's like all right mr president don your iphone and we will be in cyberspace and he's like they call them iphones but yeah 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 i caught that yeah but an, an iphone is just putting on a, a a pair of headphones except you're leaning the headband back so it touches your forehead and then you put on the sunglasses from like those weird wheeler-esque villains from highlander 2 <laughs> and then you're you're in the computer world but they call it an iphone it's like wow that's like the one part of <laughs> lawnmower man 2 that was prescient <laughs> yeah i mean we don't have the um the uh digital phone booths where you can play games and and video chat with people oh and um, i love family. when a mustachioed man named guillermo tries to put a stop to job when he figures out that job is killing people using his computer powers and uh he job enters into a cybernetic file folder where he's flipping through like digital folders he's actually just throwing around these animated folders and it looks just like that scene do you remember the reverse sexual harassment film disclosure Yes. And there's a scene in which Michael Douglas, to prove the fact that he's being sexually harassed by Demi Moore and not the other way around, which he claims, he has to like go into virtual reality and get the files which prove his innocence. <laughs> it's just like that. I know. That, it'd be such a pain in the ass. I mean, it's bad enough that Microsoft, that, that, um, that Windows want, needs to update like every four hours and, you know, I get ads for shit just mm -hmm. for opening excel but um but yeah yeah i mean it's like every time i need to open up a microsoft word document i need to like you know put on my vr headset walk down walk into a corridor and just be like, <laughs> all right where's my slash fic of lady death and thanos mm -hmm. ah here it is okay <laughs> um so uh but yeah yeah we should go into the world building uh so like in the five and they explicitly 
I didn't think they were going to do it um, because Peter in the original Lawnmower Man is like around 10 years old and he's a teenager in this movie and they just say the future. Yes, the the title card reads Los Angeles, the future. <laughs> yeah, and, and so I thought they were going to try to leave it vague even though since they have the original actor, you can just do the math on his age. Yeah. But but they actually have Job drop a line of dialogue where he talks about, like, it's been five years since, you know, his body was recovered. Um, and, like, in the five years since, uh, they have the, ver the, the VR toll booths, um, phone booths. Um, they have uh, the... Um, uh, the the futuristic cars they have open flames everywhere, uh, and uh, LA just looks like the typical Blade Runner dystopia that every single '90s movie, down to Super Mario Brothers the movie had. Yes, <laughs> there's some very like... similarities between that movie and this one, which oddly <laughs> enough, that was directed by the people who directed the British Max Headroom pilot interesting yeah uh -huh. that's that was their last big shot at like a feature film because they had directed the doa remake to mixed reviews but people at least admitted it was stylish and then they were in charge of the mario brothers movie and by all accounts are responsible for everything that's bad about the mario brothers movie <laughs> <laughs> see there's a lot, all these all these ties maybe all these uh blood Blade Runner inspired '90s movies take place in the same universe. <laughs> it's it's a strange thing because like I remember, did you ever see? Not to get totally off track, but did you ever see the unaired pilot for a TV series based on Sam Raimi's Dark Man? I did. Yes. It's terrible. It's so bad. Like if you thought the direct-to-video sequels, one of which stars Jeff Fahey as the villain, um, <laughs> in the immortally titled "Die, Dark Man, Die," um, if you thought those were bad, they are huge improvements, huge step ups on, uh, steps up on the unbelievable ineptitude in which Dark Man, played by yet another actor who is again playing an american character but is not american and is faking an accent badly um he's he it's supposed to be set in the present day but all the exterior shots are clipped from blade runner including the famous shot of the coca-cola commercial with the geisha and everything played on that huge screen wow so i don't know something was in the air for about 10 years or 15 years after Blade Runner came out, because even if it didn't make sense, people would want to imitate it. Because, like, I can understand if you're trying to show the present day, or the future as it is here, mm -hmm. uh, being influenced by certain advances in virtual reality and, uh, and electronics that are only in this movie's universe. That's totally fine. But the fact that we've gone from, like, 1992 to at most 1998 uh for going from the suburbs to decker hunting replicants <laughs> or or it, it almost looks like the mars mall in the original total recall like it's totally out of place <laughs> and everyone has like super bikes and weird uh, uh like all the all the cars look like vw bugs except they have dryer tubes on them <laughs> <laughs> and 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 half of um Half of LA, LA subway system has been abandoned and has uh, precocious 
waifs, uh, including Peter, yes. uh, living in them. Yes, because Peter and his Baker Street Irregulars are all, they're all living in this abandoned subway car, which again gave me flashbacks because that's where Arnold Vosloo lived in Darkman's 2 and 3. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, weirdly, I, like the most distracting thing is the kids' fashion, which is not attempting to look futuristic, but they're all inexplicably dressed like Blossom. Yes! Oh, yeah, I, I actually made a note of that in my notes. It was like... The, this is supposed to be the future, but their clothes are like three years out of date by the time the movie comes out. Yeah, they're all wearing kicky berets for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> like, every time you have a close-up on Peter or his uh, love interest, I guess, they kiss once at the very beginning of the movie and it's kind of forgotten about. Um, yeah. I keep expecting to hear, like, in my opinion, nation, the sun is going to surely shine. <laughs> It's yeah, terrible. <laughs> like the Brave. costume designs in this movie alone make me like it more than Lawnmower Man because that was like a, an attempt at a real movie that just goes off the rails and has like one very goofy scene and one chilling and effective scene at, at the end. But this is all terrible all the time. I'm entertained <laughs> by every single mistake they made. Uh, yeah, yeah, the the berets and the pastels and contrasted with. Um, yeah, the hero, Dr. Trace, who is totally a write-in for uh, Pierce Bronson because he said, I, no, no, no fucking way I'm doing this movie. Um, <laughs> and what's worse is that he's played by Patrick Bergen, who no one has seen in anything. And when you see him on screen, he really makes you appreciate the charisma and screen presence of David Hasselhoff. Yes. <laughs> Well, to be fair, I, I I would classify him as that guy. He's like that guy that you vaguely recognize if you're watching like a British TV show. It's like, hey, I've seen him in other stuff. I, I don't know what. But... Yeah, he was in the 90s Robin Hood that wasn't Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, or Robin Hood, Men in Tights. <laughs> yeah, I went to his IMDb page and it was like half British stuff that I vaguely remember seeing at some point and half British stuff I never heard of. Mm. So I guess, um, I don't know. I couldn't find anything biographical, but I guess like he fought lawnmower, lawnmower man too would be his big break <laughs> across the Atlantic. And <laughs> the only thing North I'll say is like, I think that his performance is diabolically bland. Yeah. But I, I will say this, uh, the one bit of praise I can give him is that Bergen does a really convincing accent. Like I didn't know he was Irish. Oh, yeah, he he does do a good American accent. Yeah, because compare it to a much better performance, but a much worse accent, which is Liam Neeson in the original Dark Man. Where he's like, <laughs> Julie, tell me about the Belisarius Memorandum. <laughs> like it's amazing. It's amazing. No one no one uses ours like Europeans trying to sound like North Americans. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, yeah, they sound exactly. fucking terrible. Like, if you ever saw the British-made Road to Avonlea with Anthony Ainley, the 80s master from Doctor Who, as, oh. like, an American gentleman, it's the fucking best. <laughs> Holy like, Hello, crap. how are you? <laughs> I, I need that movie in my life. <laughs> uh but um, but yeah, I, I was going to say that the the costuming for Doctor Trace is um, and and I love that name too, Doctor Trace. It's mm -hmm. like so so pretentious. <laughs> uh, you know, he he dresses like um, 
<laughs> he's basically a giant brochure for cultural insensitivity of white people imitating Native American dress. Yes, and he's got he's got dreadlocks too. He's got yeah, he dreadlocks. has dreadlocks. <laughs> he's got the dreadlocks, the Native American, the vaguely Native American um, outfit and everything. It was fantastic. Now, now, tell me if you think I'm right here. The first time I, I saw him. I thought he looks like a university professor who is between sexual harassment complaints. <laughs> I think that sums it up perfectly. I think that was I think that was actually in the um in the screenplay. Well that's that's the weird thing because like I thought of that when I first saw him and then later on it's established that he and uh oh uh what is her name i'm trying to think uh cory cory yes I, yeah uh cory was his student and they had a romance while they were teacher and student it's implied oh yeah i didn't catch that yeah and, and the only reason she's mad at him is because he wait uh crap trying to remember this movie's plot is like it's like trying to remember what happened when you got blackout drunk ones. Mm. Um, yeah, because Trace invented the Chiron ship. Yes, and that's the MacGuffin for the movie. It's a triangle that will uh, unleash unlimited power on the internet. Consequences will never be the same. <laughs> and... Yeah, yeah that, that's really where the movie just sort of stops trying to make sense because it's like it makes... Because it, 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 they, they just, like, throw... It's not even really techno-babble. It's just, like, concepts that don't make any sense. Because it's like, well, it, it, it'll be the first time that there's a network inside virtual reality, and it will make virtual reality a physical space. And it's just like, what? 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 Because, like, even by the 90s, I don't think that would have made any sense to anybody. No, and, and like, Job... It, it, Okay, so Joe essentially at the beginning of the film has reverted back to being mentally handicapped. And then using, you know, lock-on technology of the Sega 32X, they're able to bring him up to speed and he becomes a super genius again. And, of course, we continue with the lawnmower man's insulting insinuation that the more intelligent you get, the more you become an evil super genius. Right. And... So he can apparently, or so he claims, he can live without food and, and uh, you know, he has a better existence online. And I guess his grand scheme is to take over all of the internet with the Chiron chip. And he wants to amass all of humanity as his followers to come live with him in cyberspace where he will be celebrated as Jesus, I guess. And he will be the emperor of all of the world. He will be the mayor of Second Life. And that's his that's his whole plan. And honestly, the only reason that there's like a Chiron ship and Joe is asking, you know, Trace, its inventor, uh, you know, what what is Egypt, which is this code that is preventing him from fully accessing all of the Chiron ship's powers. Uh, because like Dr. Serizawa from the original Godzilla, uh, Trace fears the the... Uh, potential destructive force of unlimited internet. <laughs> it's basically the oxygen destroyer, but with broadband internet. And uh, he refuses to give Job the uh, Egypt protocol or whatever the hell it is. And Job uh, 
apparently works his way around that, and he's like, I'm still able to access all the programs. But it turns out that Egypt functions as a dam preventing information from getting in. So when Job eventually merges with the Triforce that is the Chiron chip, it's just a big triangle, uh, He uh, his virtual reality setup explodes and he becomes mentally handicapped again. Yeah, and becomes good again. Um, and uh, yeah, we should uh, go into... Um... Oh yeah, first so the Chiron chip looks like a mystical artifact from a from a crappy video game of the time. Yes. Uh, and uh, in the climax of the film, Matt Frewer and Patrick Bergen have a sword fight that plays like a fan film based on the Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> And what's great is that it's it's great seeing Matt Frewer's uh, 40-year-old mom butt in his gold lame outfit as he's trying to duke it out with a guy who looks like David Hasselhoff's stunt double <laughs> using effects that would not be out of place as a background in an episode of Reboot. No, no, or, or from um, original PlayStation cutscenes. Yep, or VR5. Name your dated ah. CGI thing, and it's here. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, that's another thing. Like Lawnmower Man One, I mean, as, as dated as the the Cyber Job graphics were, at least they were more distinctive than anything you get out of this movie. Like, you know, because I was thinking of all the scenes where Job is like going on his Messiah trip and virtual reality, and all these people are. Um, quote, jacking on, unquote. <laughs> so sad that that never became uh, the uh, slang for logging on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, unfortunately, and, and it's weird. I think they only call it jacking on so that Matt Furrer can ad-lib, jacking on, jacking off, what's the difference? It's like that is only <laughs> there to, to set up that lame joke. <laughs> like, it's... Just embarrassing. Well, I will say this. Like, here's here's the crazy thing. So, like, Lawnmower Man's uh, original uh, effects uh, for the CGI Jeff Fahey, like, it's it's ugly. It's really, really ugly. But for the time, it was really advanced. And so, yeah. even though he looks like the baby from Pixar's Toy Trumpet back in 1988... <laughs> It was still like more CGI than you're used to seeing on screen, and all anybody knew really was the T1000 and a few effect shots from the Abyss. So people were were excited about seeing like a CGI movie. And here, CGI has become a bit more advanced that they were starting to get incorporated into uh, larger releases with varying degrees of success. But you just have Matt Frewer blue screened in to backgrounds that at best look like a shot from Babylon 5. Yeah. Yeah, and I was going to say, like, whenever they sh show the crowd shots of all the people, they just look like they're writhing around weirdly. Yeah. And I think it's, like, I think it's supposed to signify that they're all looking up at Job like a god and, and like, they're shielding their eyes, but instead it just looks like they're, like, just this mass of bodies that's wriggling around like worms, and it's really... Like it's, I, I think it's supposed to be like creepy, but it's just goofy looking. Well, that's that's the weird thing. So once again, tying this back to Max Headroom, which this is clearly trying to play off of, though mm -hmm. 
but they've gone from an R rating to a PG-13. So if you're looking for like a young audience of 13 and under to see this film, how many of them have fond memories of Max Headroom in 1995 or 6? I don't know. But, yeah. Because they're not all me. But uh, <laughs> the thing that's so weird about that scene where uh, Frewer is, is preaching to uh, his flock uh, in there. There's a couple of odd things. One, it is eerily reminiscent of the Ridley Scott-directed new Coke ad in which a bunch of young Cokeologists, as he calls them, meet underground and worship Max Headroom on a TV, and he chastises them for saying the P-word when they all say, Coke is better than Pepsi. And it's, it's, it's so much like that, that ad. But the worst thing is when Job is going on his monologue about how in his new world, you won't be hungry, there won't be any famine, and you'll be free from temptation. What does he think the internet is used for? Like when, he, when people started beaming in, because they fill up theater seats later in the movie when they all start jacking in with their sunglasses and iPhones. Uh, like it sh they should have all had like their creepy cyber personas. Like there should have been a bunch of diaper furs and like <laughs> people who enjoy ball busting and like people with foot fetishes like all in there and daddy dom subs and all this shit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I didn't get that. I, I assumed that he meant that like there would be no temptation because you would get whatever you wanted. I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, so we're all frogs jizzing on our girlfriends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I have to say, though, that you know, as a millennial who, who actually is living in a dystopian future, I, 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 would, probably, I would probably sign on to Job's pitch, you know. If, if even if, like, Matt Frewer just shows up on my screen and just like crazily rants to me and like how I need to upload my consciousness to the internet and I'll be like, eh, you know, better than here, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe it's just the Peterborough accent I'm hearing off of Frewer, but I got weird Jordan Peterson vibes from him throughout. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that would be that would be a problem. He's like, these yeah, are my ever... twelve rules. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you need to only eat meat because apple cider will make you have hallucinations. Um, by the way, folks, that's not a joke. That That's literally what Jordan Peterson is saying right now. And remember, what does Job have with him at all times as a potential defense weapon? A sword, just like Jordan yeah. Peterson. <laughs> Yeah, uh, when you put it that way, maybe, 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 maybe not. But if they ever update this movie and and give it a re-release, because uh, of course that would ever happen, um, they should definitely base the base Job off Jordan Peterson. That would be awesome. <laughs> I would I would watch the hell out of that. Um, but yeah, we should we should get to the movie's other villain, uh, Matthew Waller, who is the CEO, who um, apparently. Uh, employs Corey, but like somehow took the patent for uh trace's chiron chip and like i don't know i don't know if the movie ever explicitly explains that i i honestly can't remember but like trace basically invented virtual reality and waller's corporation took it over or something yeah, yeah so you have jonathan walker who owns the patent for the chiron chip and all of uh, Dr. Trace's uh, work in virtual reality. And for some reason, we, we 
that means that you know he he completely owns the rights to it and the courts side with him uh kevin conway along with matt frewer is the other fun performance in this movie um i think much like a certain set of people will recognize Matt Frewer primarily from that episode of TNG where he played a con man who was pretending he was a future historian just to steal stuff. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Conway has a great role where he plays the clone of the Klingon mythical warrior Kallus. And I remember. Yeah, he's a super fun ham, and he's exactly like that here. If you can't picture, if any of your listeners can't picture uh, Kevin Conway, then just imagine this. What if Ron Silver hit the craft services table a few too many times? <laughs> there you go. And he's essentially a Republican supervillain because he wants to use his Facebook-like creation because his whole plan is he wants to create a... Uh, network or or whatever called virtual light and he's really using it to get dirt on democrats yeah yeah and he even refers to um uh the guy who was going to help fund the project uh senator mr Littman from seinfeld that's right uh, yes. he calls him a, lib- a dirty liberal or or, or liberal scum or something like that yeah he goes he goes full rush limbaugh for a moment <laughs> yeah but but i mean if you think that lawnmower man 2 has a subtle political message it really doesn't just you know the villains are a ceo and a republican and that's that's pretty much it they're they don't really go anywhere with it <laughs> And yet all the pieces are there. <laughs> all the yeah. pieces are there to make like a relevant movie for now. I don't know how relevant it would have been for 1996, but it's like, it's weird. It's like, no, no, no. Uh, Matt Frewer is basically playing, uh, you know, a more evil Jordan Peterson, a more evil Sargon of Akkad that a bunch of doofuses are looking up to while <laughs> the economy is, is falling to pieces and Los Angeles is in ruins. And meanwhile, there's an evil Republican conspiracy to try to dig up dirt on Democrats and he's such an idiot walker is that uh he, he's like how many democrats are making more than three hundred thousand a year and it's like do you really think that exposing like the disparity in uh pay uh is going to like throw people off it's like oh i didn't realize that people in government made a lot of money more than me <laughs> it's like yeah that's why people get into it no one gets into it to make a difference you dumb dumb yeah. <laughs> Damn liberals with their... Uh, 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 it's like all the people who criticize Bernie Sanders for owning two houses. Yes, and that's that's exactly what that conspiracy is. It's like you're not going to believe that he is, he or she, whatever senator they're talking about, is well paid. It's like, yeah, that's, that's it? That's all they got? Like, I would totally understand. It's like, find out about all their... Because, like, again, you think about how the internet is actually used you would uh, try to hack into what's on their hard drive and be like, ah, this is the creepy shit that they're into. Because what's way more embarrassing than someone walking in on you masturbating is someone walking in on what you're masturbating to. Yes. Yeah, they don't, They don't. Uh, aside from uh, several of Job's lines being sex jokes, they don't really delve in at all to like people using uh, VR for creepy... Um, sex things in the yeah. movie that is a sequel 
to a film that has a jizz frog scene. Yes. Because, uh, like, the Ragamuffins, um, Peter's Ragamuffins, uh, which is a name I really like and would like to see as a band name, uh, like, they don't they don't use virtual reality for anything except, like, running around in the woods, I guess. Yeah, it's weird because they're all teenagers, but they're scripted like children. And, and they even have like a cute dog, yes, cute and, dog and companion. In the most embarrassing scene in the movie, the dog Harvey is instructed by the kids while they're in cyberspace, like a five dollar matrix, uh, put in the disc so they can get their cyber bikes. And the dog is trained enough that it can put a disc in its mouth and set it down, but that's not enough to push a disc into a CD-ROM drive. So they have a dog paw puppet push it in in an insert shot. <laughs> Just embarrassing. It's fantastic, and it sets the tone for the movie so, so perfectly. Um, but, uh, yeah, so so Walker sets up Job, and, of course, Job is... Um, oh, yeah, I think we forgot to mention that Job is... Uh, um, uh, his legs are amputate, have, have to be amputated, um, because even though he clearly... His physical body clearly died in the last movie... Um, they recon the ending completely and just have it be that you know his his body his body got badly burned. Yes, yeah, they had to amp- amputate, and I guess Walker is allegedly holding him under his thumb with the promise of prosthetic legs, uh, but that doesn't really get addressed in the movie. And Frewer as Job doesn't seem to care. Yeah, yeah, that was the other funny thing is like there's actually an argument between Walker and Corey about like. Um, Job's legs, and, and uh, she's she says you could have gotten him prosthetic legs, and and Walker just says, "Well, we can't have him walking out of here," and it's just like <laughs> so. So I mean, it, it, it's like the five years in the future, such a dystopian hell that you can just like like um, go out and, and and grab someone in a wheelchair and and take them into your house, and you basically enslave them because they have like you know if they can't leave your house you're they have no legal rights you know? it's like jokes on you job this is not wheelchair accessible <laughs> it's just it's just so it, it's just so goofy i mean that you know they would have been better off just not addressing it <laughs> because yeah, you could delete that line and you wouldn't think Really, like you, you wouldn't think much of the fact that it's like, well, he's in their employ, and in exchange for room and board, uh, he gets to work on on their experiment, and they're not even thinking about creating uh, robot legs for him or any kind of prosthetic. And much though I would have loved to have seen robot legs become a part of the plot, but it it, it was totally unnecessary, and it just adds this. I suppose it's supposed to be additional evil shade for Walker, but he didn't need it. It's, he's he's the sneering Republican. <laughs> like he's already he's already evil enough. He blows up Mr. Lipman for God's sakes. Oh, oh no, no, no no no! It was Joe. Yeah, that's Joe. Uh, yeah, but he did want Lipman dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of a. Um... Henry II, and then will no one rid me of this meddling, liberal, vaguely Jewish senator? And, you know. <laughs> um, and, yeah, Joe basically kills. Uh, he 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 gets quite the body count. He kills 
So, so first he tries to smash a train into where Peter and Dr. Trace is after Dr. Trace refuses to help him. And he kills like this innocent subway worker. Uh, then he kills everybody on the plane with Senator Mr. Lemon from Seinfeld uh, <laughs> by causing the plane to crash. And then he, he like gets a like this poor helicopter pilot um, to crash into Dr. Trace's house. So, so you know, we get two basically identical action scenes where, you know, they're dodging um, an exploding fire fireball, um, which, of course, doesn't fit with real-life physics at all. No. Um, especially because, like, dodging the exploding subway tunnel, like... You know the whole scene where, where the kid with the dog is like, I can't, I can't leave the dog behind, and and the you know the, the subway tunnels are blowing up everywhere else, <laughs> and giving Doctor Trace enough time to go down and pick up the dog, which the kid couldn't do for some reason. I I don't know, like oh he doesn't know I could you could just hold the dog differently and still climb out of the subway tunnel. Um, <laughs> And, you know, uh, he, he, so there's enough time for that whole switch and, you know, climbing out and taking the dog in another arm to, to get away from the, uh, the uh, fire consuming the entire tunnel. And uh, they do the same with the helicopter wreckage. Like, oh, we just duck, just have to duck a little bit and the flames won't touch us. Yes. Um, but but yeah, it's basically the same action scene, just copy and pasted with you know a few details changed, and and that's it. I can only assume um, those are there because unlike the CGI effects, the miniature work here is really good. Yeah, yeah. I and and the explosions are, are kind of cool. So I guess they yeah. just had to spend the budget on something. But but I mean that's that's the thing. It's like. Okay, the first Lawnmower Man, I mean, obviously had problems, but, you know, it it really did raise a question of whether or not, you know, just how truly evil Job is, because, you know, he kills people, but oh, only in the theatrical cut. He only kills people who genuinely exploited him mm -hmm. and made his life hell. Um, and in the end, he basically is willing to sacrifice himself to save Peter. Well, not sacrifice himself, but endanger his life because Peter's in danger. Right. Um, and this movie, it, like, it seems like it's setting up because uh, when they revive Job, his first thoughts are of Peter and his friendship with Peter. <laughs> but then Job, once he gains intelligence, he sadistically is willing to kill Peter um, with the subway tunnel. And and they go through a lot of trouble showing Job's victims. I mean, they show the the subway worker, the pilot, the uh, crew of the airplane that the senator is on. You know, they're showing them suffering and panicking and, and, and very, not I, I wouldn't say gruesome detail, but in, in pretty explicit you know, detail that, that, you know, makes Job as unsympathetic as possible. And Job is like laughing as he's condemning these innocent people to die. Um, 
and in the, and you know in the end like when job is defeated and reverts to his original intelligence it's like oh he's back it's normal he's good again you know and, and, and there's no there's nothing you know trace is the one who confronts job and peter has very little to do with the final confrontation and like all the stuff about you know the fact that job was basically willing to murder Peter, not even murder Peter, but just like make him collateral damage. That is just like, eh, you know, he's dumb again, so it's okay. Well, that, that's the weird. Like, is it just me, or is it like weirdly more insensitive that they don't use, you know, in the 1990s, they wouldn't have said mentally handicapped, but they wouldn't right. have used it as a pejorative <laughs> thing either. That's just, yeah, yeah. that's just how it was. But it doesn't seem like weirdly more insensitive that. They always refer to Job as he used to be a simpleton. Isn't mm. that like weirdly more like off-putting and like not uh, correct? I don't know. But uh, what's odd is that this movie shows because you're absolutely right. In Lawnmower Man, at least the theatrical cut that I know, because when I finally saw it later, that's what I watched. Um, it it really is just Jeff Fahey getting revenge on those he who mistreated so he uses his resources and his increased intelligence to decide what's fair a fate for those characters and you know fair enough um but with this intelligence turns job into a supervillain yeah into a a cartoon uh, maniacally laughing wisecracking supervillain there's no difference between matt frewer and robert england as freddy krueger Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Uh, right down to them both being released by New Line Cinema, I think. But you know, there's nothing. There's there's no conflict there, and Job is just using Peter. Like there's no friendship between them, and he's he's willing to kill Peter when they first uh, link up with Doctor Trace. And yeah, you're right. It's really odd that uh, like a proper conflict would be about Peter trying to reach what's left of Job's heart and his kindness and how he's become twisted. There's not even like an explanation of like, oh, due to some weird complications with the computer or we, or perhaps giving Job steroids or something to some kind of medical treatment or, or virtual treatment is influencing his mind so that it goes to some kind of dark side uh, and is, is an unnatural uh, tainting of his mind. It's like, no, 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 intelligence made him bad. The weird yeah. anti-intellectual message of this movie is don't get smart, you'll become a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, because I, I think it was just like a really, I, I don't know, maybe they didn't even pay attention to the first movie. I mean, I mean, and I don't want people to get the wrong impression. I don't think the first movie approaches this particularly well. Again, it's just, it's just because it's actually there, you know, that that there is that question of whether or not, you know, Job's actions are driven by his transformation or if, you know, he's just doing what anyone would really do if they had those those powers and that freedom from consequences, you know, mm. um, or, you know, if he's if he's just developed his own concept of morality because he's been you know boosted so far above normal people um and this movie to say it doesn't address those at all is actually an understatement because it's it's like it goes back 
it regresses even beyond the first, where the first movie's willing to go, which wasn't that far to begin with. So, And Chad, I have a theory, which is that much like Lawnmower Man was called Cyber War or Cyber God or some damn thing, and later became married to a Stephen King short story, I think this was an unrelated script that became Lawnmower Man 2. Oh, no, I totally agree. It, it had to have been, because it, it just explains so much, like the stuff about the future, even though it's only five years ahead and you know all that other stuff. Yeah, because this is basically, like the setup that you get with Peter and Friends is that it's like the Matrix for children. This feels like a pilot for Matrix Junior. Uh, it's like the <laughs> Matrix on a, a ghostwriter budget. <laughs> it definitely does. Um, and, and I think you're absolutely right. I, it just explains too much because, it, it, I mean, like, I, I can kind of see where Dr. Trace's role was meant for Pierce Bronson. Um, am I mispronouncing his name again? Yes, it's Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, I just have a mental block against getting his name right. I don't know why. Uh, anyway, um... <laughs> Yeah, but but everything else is is like it just doesn't fit even the first movie's mythology at all, even beyond the huge retcon. Um, oh, oh, oh! But uh, to backtrack a little bit, I forgot my other favorite dumb moment uh, during Job's rampage is when he tries to kill Walker um, or Waller. Waller. Um, all he does is he impersonates him on a video screen and orders the guards to kill everybody in this one on this one floor because they're terrorists. Mm -hmm. And it's like the guards somehow don't recognize their own boss, <laughs> <laughs> and they just like take the take the um, instructions given on the video literally and just say. Oh yeah, we should gun down this guy that looks like our boss and his assistant and <laughs> the chief of security, and, and then they just like stand around after they do it, like uh, they like they don't even have any reaction to to murdering their own boss. And that's that's a real wasted opportunity because like any director worth his or her salt would have cut back and shown the look on their faces just for like the comedic potential of that scene. <laughs> Like, exactly. what, what do you do? Do you break for lunch at that point? Do you try to talk to Joe? Like, what do you do? Like, that's, I mean, technically, you know, if, if, if you were just following orders and, like, the, the cameras weren't going, you could just kind of clock out and forget about it. Like, anything could have happened, and they choose to do nothing. Yeah. There's no, there's no edit uh, on their reaction at all. And adding to the uh, subtle... Um political commentary of course the entire uh, corporate headquarters where job is working looks like um a fascist dictatorship and mm -hmm. all the guards go around wearing uh wearing um uh ss uniforms essentially so you know yeah basically. take that <laughs> take that gop <laughs> Again, it's it's a film it's a film that cries to be remade now. Lawnmower Man Two Beyond Cyberspace. <laughs> Who knew? It's more relevant than ever. Um, like, exactly. It's it's a it's a baffling sequel to a film that 
certainly didn't ask for a sequel. I mean, that's like a shock ending that the original film has. There's no intended follow-up, although you could do... Like, the logical extension, I guess, would be a post-apocalyptic version of the world where Job has taken over. So then the future setting where everything's fucked up and falling apart would make sense. Yeah. But that's not what happens. It just goes that way anyway. And then Job becomes active independently of that. He, 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 he gets back into cyberspace and becomes uh, an evil, murderous despot of his own volition, totally unrelated to the plot of the first film. Once again, supporting my theory that this was not a Lawnmower Man script. No. Um, there's, they, they shoehorn it in because there's that great scene, as I mentioned, where Parker recognizes him. Uh, or sorry, Parkett, because his name is Peter Parkett, because he's obsessed with comic books. Subtle. Um, <laughs> but Peter recognizes Max, or <laughs> recognizes Max and recognizes Job, uh, because Job shows him a lawnmower. And then later on, there's the line of dialogue, you were always just a lawnmower man. It's like the lawnmower man is dead, as they're fighting with their swords in the uh, very, very narrow uh, balcony. Um, at the climax of the film. Yeah, it, it, the, the, the signs are just so so obvious. And they, they really could... Yeah, that's kind of the frustrating thing. Is like they could have done a movie where Job has won and, you know, we're seeing the resistance to that. Or it could have turned out that, like, the evil corporation had some technology that was keeping Job in check all along. And they still could have had, like, the whole thing where... You know, this group is acting against the um, corporation, but it turns out the real enemy is Job and yeah. just sort of, you know, flipped it around. But, nope, <laughs> I guess they just couldn't, they just didn't have the time or the desire to really rework whatever script they went with. Yeah, this, this movie is one competent rewrite away from being a logical sequel to Lawnmower Man. That's the frustrating thing. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Uh, but I, I, I guess we should. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. We got We got to talk about. Um, I think I've been mispronouncing his name this whole time. Is it Waller, Walter, or Walker? It's I, Walker. I, okay, this movie. Uh, yeah, I, I, I literally just watched it last night. But I think my brain is going through the process of like deleting everything related to it, including uh, uh, <laughs> including Pierce process. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I did it again, Pierce Bronson. Pierce Bronson. All right, whatever. Um, uh, uh, let me wrap this up before my brain melts. Um, and, and I turn into Matt, Matt Fewer. Um, but, yeah, the, like, even though he got shot by, like, three different guards, uh, uh, Walter shows up and takes Peter hostage for no reason because, you know, I guess he... Because he hasn't committed any crimes technically. I mean, Job did all the evil stuff. Yeah. So I don't know why he's so desperate that he has to hold Peter hostage to claim the Chiron ship. And you would have just assumed he's dead from the shootout scene anyway. Yeah. Because at least three guards unloaded into him, and, you know, he, he just acts like he maybe fell down a flight of stairs or something. There's no bullet holes or anything. He just, like, shows up sweaty. Yes, much like Werner Herzog, I guess it wasn't a significant bullet. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then Job saves Peter again because, you know, he's regressed back to his normal intelligence level. Therefore, he's good again. 
And nobody brings up the fact that, you know, he crashed a plane full of innocent people or, um, you know, uh, uh, tried to murder Peter twice um, along with everyone else. Yeah, and, and it's weird because it, that actually skirts the one potentially interesting question this movie fails to ask, which is if you reduced the IQ, if you reduced the intelligence of someone who murdered others and that that process made them gentle and without an evil bone in their body would they still like would they still deserve some kind of uh, judgment or prison sentence or anything like that or would you be able to treat them like a new person if that ultimately resulted from those memories being blocked and them no longer being a threat and right. the movie's just like no it's fine and the very last shot of the movie plays like something from the trailer for simple jack from tropic thunder <laughs> i know it does I, I was trying to think of a um uh, a, a, a sensitive way to describe uh, the look Peter uh, I mean not the look that Peter has but the look that Job has at the end of the movie that, <laughs> that Matt Fewer gives him because it, it's really it, it, are you it, calling it, him Matt Fewer because Job has fewer brain cells <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't know I think I think the part of my yeah I think I think the part of my my brain that can handle um the pronunciation of names is, is has been affected by this movie. You've so gone now. full Rich Evans. <laughs> I have. <laughs> uh, indeed, indeed. Um, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. The, the the expression on Job's face at the end of the movie is just like I, I. I was wrestling with how to describe it, but I think I think you covered it for me you 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 threw yourself on that grenade <laughs> thank god because <laughs> it's just it's just so horrible and they're all like standing out I, and they're all pointing and smiling at something and i have no idea what it is and it's a sunset and like uh it's just such it, it's literally the worst ending to a movie i think i've ever seen and it's wonderful <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it's odd because it's like they're they're posing for like a Sears family portrait <laughs> studio photo, and then but it's like it's just shot with a yellow filter, so it looks like the sun is rising, I guess, and that's that's it. All is forgiven, Job, um, and it's really bizarre. But that's one of the many joys of Lawnmower Man Two is that it ends with the you know, rich guy who had bad plans and was our scheming Republican who hadn't really done anything except for, you know, cheated a guy out of his patent, but was like, you know, he, he was within the law. He, he, he didn't, he didn't break any, any, any rules by uh, screwing over Dr. Trace and he didn't hurt anybody. He just tried to, you know, win over and potentially bribe Senator Lippman, <laughs> but he, he, he like didn't really do anything. He didn't really do anything criminal. He just wanted to do criminal stuff and had schemes and he had, had conspiracy to do so. But he didn't really do anything until the very end where he put a, a gun to Job. And he's murdered and then Job, of course, the serial killer yeah. is, is our best pal. Well, yeah, and, and, and that, that was the other frustrating thing is like, okay, you're not going to address what Job did, but at least have 
Peter have some, you know, ambivalence about forgiving Job, and yeah. like he has to be talked into forgiving him. But no, no, he just switches back, say, "Oh, it's okay." You know, it doesn't. He doesn't even have an "Oh, it's okay" moment. He he just like says, "Oh, Job's regressing. That that means he's uh, not evil anymore." <laughs> you know? It's like yeah. Because, I mean, it, it would be one thing, because, like, to me, it's worse that Job treated Peter like, it, it's even worse than if Job tried to kill Peter directly, you know, he just doesn't, just sees him as collateral damage to kill Dr. Trace, you know, he doesn't even worry about him. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's totally insignificant to him, and I, I guess it's fine that, you know, if given above average intelligence, all Job dreams of is world conquest. But if you give him below average intelligence, he's just the sweetest guy who wants to read Cosmic Man. <laughs> and and has a really uh, inappropriate grin on his face at, while looking at something in the script that everybody else is pointing at, you know. I'm pretty sure the look on Matt Frewer's face in the final scene is because his check cleared at the moment of filming. <laughs> yeah, because I'm sure that there was some doubt about whether or not the check would clear. Cause this, but this did get released in theaters, didn't it? I, uh, I yes, it was like in and out of theaters. Because like, I remember seeing the newspaper ad, which was uh, Frewer in a different getup he was in kind of a dark blue bodysuit. There was a full color ad for this in, in my paper. And he was like in a dark blue bodysuit and there was a virtual reality kind of machine around him, but he was gigantic and he was extending his arms out. And there may or may not have been like a, a, a tiny earth in his hands, but he was just extending his arms out and it said Lawnmower Man 2 Beyond Cyberspace starts Friday, but it was gone the following week. Um, and then it was retitled, uh, possibly to get the, the kind of smell of failure off of it, because anyone would recognize Beyond Cyberspace, but maybe they wouldn't recognize Job's War. Uh, interestingly, uh, I found out, I don't know if you saw this, uh, there was apparently an attempt to release this simultaneously on CD-ROM. I don't know if it was meant to be a game version of the film or just a CD-ROM copy of the film. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but judging by the quality of the film, I assumed it was only intended to be released on the Philips CDI. Yeah. <laughs> well, that would have been awesome, though, if like um, the fact that the only uh, Waterworld video game was released on the Virtual Boy, if like <laughs> the only video game adaptation of Lawnmower Man 2 was released on the CDI. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> Um, well, um, I guess that's a good point to, to wrap up on is on, on the stories of, of failures, uh, much like the story of my failure to pronounce any name correctly during this podcast. But, um, so, uh, Adam, why don't you tell the good folks at home where they can find you? Oh, absolutely. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm doing a podcast on Canadian horror movies called A Part of Our Scaritage, which you can find as part of the Megaphonic network that I co-created. Uh, it's at megaphonic.fm slash scare. Also, 
uh, I guess the very first show that the network uh, debuted is also a thing that I co-host, uh, which is called uh, It's Just a Show, which is a randomized look back on episodes uh, of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Excellent. And I am your host, Chad Denton. Uh, you can find me at Trash Cannon, obviously. Uh, you can also find my show Hollywood Hates History and Before Stonewall on YouTube. And also, uh, please check out my new prose LGBT superhero series, John and Amar, on WordPress. And that's at johnandamar.com. All right. Uh, thanks for being on, Adam. And uh, we will uh, join you all beyond cyberspace <laughs> next time. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.